Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Virtually Speaking Podcast. Uh, John and I really love doing these, and uh, you know we, we love bringing in guests and having great conversations. And this week was no exception. I mean, man, we had a great conversation with our good friend, Mr. Glenn Sizemore, which you're about to hear. But man, oh, my audio is horrible, and I have to apologize. <laughs> uh, I won't bore you with the whole story, but I am moving offices in my house and uh, setting things up. And yeah, just uh, I... I made the, the rookie mistake of not having monitors on. And yeah, I sounded like I was in an empty room and I feel horrible about it. But uh, but I'm going to release this episode anyway because I thought the conversation was great. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to fix it for the next time. So uh, apologies in advance. And I hope you can enjoy the episode in spite of my horrible audio. Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Arrow and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 204. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, man? Good. I'm, I'm sitting here um, counting my money here. I've, I'm going to have to buy a new CPU, I found out. Really? Oh, yeah? What's, what's the matter with your old one? Is it just getting too old? Is it? What's the problem with it? Well, so, I mean, this is the thing. You start, like, one project, you're like, oh, you know, I should probably upgrade my desktop from Windows 10 to Windows 11. And I'm like, I've got a pretty fast computer, you know, you know, met a guy in a back alley and got a good GPU and some things. And I go to do the upgrade. And it's like, oh, yeah, your CPU is not supported. And I'm like, great. So I got to go upgrade the CPU. And if I'm going to upgrade the CPU, I might as well get a new motherboard. And and then it's like, I'm going to buy a new PC. So it's, you know, one thing leads to another. But th- yeah. this is always the problem of, of life cycle issues is you you have one thing you need to fix. And it's just like pulling that thread and the entire tapestry comes you know off the wall at you. Yeah. And that's why today's topic, man, you know, I saw on Twitter just this past week that, you know, we were moving into end of life, as they say, for Windows 20 Server 2016. And I was like, wow, is it already end of life? And, you know, that brings questions like, is it really end of life? And, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about what that means and also how that looks in a SaaS model as well. And so joining us to have that discussion is our good friend, Mr. Glenn Sizemore. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Pete, how you doing, man? Good to be back. Yeah, John, man, I can commensurate. I uh, I'm I'm going through similar pains right now. I, I uh, Netflix wasn't quite streaming quite well, so I've had to upgrade my home network to 10 gig and discover all the joys that is Cat 8 and the Terminators that come with it. So yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. a slippery slope indeed. It starts off with a you know well, I'll just spend a little money, and next thing you know you've spent way too much money, and your wife's in the kitchen looking at you going, "What happened?" <laughs> there's, yeah, there's exactly. 40 gig optics on the floor and there's tears on the about the wallet so i like it 
So yeah, you know, I, like I said, twenty server twenty sixteen. It says it's end of life, but we all know that you know it, it's not like you can't stop using it. I mean, you, you can. You're still going to get support. So why don't we just start with? And I know this isn't a Microsoft podcast, but we can use it as an example and then maybe transition. But why don't we start, Glenn? Maybe you could just set the the, the playing field here. Like, what is the difference between when someone says something is end of life, but then there's still some sort of extended support? Yeah, t- typically what what different companies call these things different things. But but typically, end of life basically is end of sale. You're no longer able to buy it. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're no longer or, or the vendor is no longer supporting existing customers. Uh, it, support will typically run for a significantly longer period of time, depending on when the last customer bought the product and, and what the support agreement was. And 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 you have your, your end of support timelines. And then that's just, you know, like immediate support. There's there's always some, some form of long-term support where you can come back in and re-up support yet again. Um, but, but as the product gets older and older, the cost of those support agreements tends to go up uh, and you get get to a point, you know, somewhere, you know, after somewhere between like four and six years after something goes end of sale, where it, it is typically cheaper just to do the life cycle and move to the newer version of the product. Of course, that's if you're like buying perpetual licensing and owning hardware, as you said, none of this applies to a SaaS model at all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I want to get into that in a minute, but I, I wanted to just chew a little bit on this existing one for one. You know, it's like there's definitely support still after the, the first five years for most, I, I say five years because that's like the Microsoft model, but there's always like some level of support. You know, I think one of the examples we were talking about earlier was, yeah, you're going to get support. There's going to be no new features, uh, but of course, of course, you know, when log things like log4j come along, you know, they're going to make sure that it's secure, uh, at least for another extended period of time, say five or so years, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but 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 even then, like, you, you, it's I mean, it's a really comp- had that. Yeah, they've had that extended yeah. support date for the security patch. And then like XP's a year out and then, a, you know, CVE 10 drops are like, fine, here's another patch. You, <laughs> you silly morons who've been, you know, running this OS for 15 years. Like it's it. it this reminds me of this kind of like walking dead analogy of you've got like, you know, end of sale, which is like, ah, it's, it's dying. Then you've got like, Oh, end of official support, which is we don't ship any um, new features and we might not even fix things that have broken because of compatibility issues. So like I ran into this with exchange uh, 2010. OA broke basically because the plugin framework that it it was based on in 2010 was deprecated by the entire industry or like flash gets deprecated. Uh, But yeah, the, the net, it was called the Netscape plugin, even though no one used Netscape, it just stopped work. OA stopped working and you had to, you know, it's like, and Microsoft sitting in the corner going, yeah, we ship security patches, but, you know, we're not completely refactoring this. Go go upgrade to Exchange 2016, you Muppets. Um, <laughs> and then you get to like, okay, Microsoft is doing you a favor. And then there's gets to the, you know, Glenn, how much money do you have? you know, option. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like nothing is ever truly end of support. If you back up a big enough dump truck, any vendor will start like spinning up your custom support shop to build your patches. Uh, but but it gets very expensive very quickly. And and honestly, this is one of the things that that, that is really driving the sassification of the industry. You know, it, it Exchange is a great example where, you know, you have a core business service that, you know, you were on annual upgrade cycles and there was constantly new features coming in and keeping this stuff fully patched and upgraded and fully compliant. It was a full-time job. Like every company had an exchange team. It wasn't an exchange guy. It was a team. There was multiples, right? It was a big thing. Um, 
and 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 that big thing was complicated and and if it went down it was a big deal right like it was the the backbone of business it replaced telephones in a lot of ways oh dude um, i used to work for accenture and we used to do large enterprise migrations of exchange cuz you just the the in-house talent is not going to be prepared to do these intensive migrations so yeah it's a it is a full-time gig but it, and then on top of that there's usually a consulting service that needs to come in to do the really heavy lifting yeah, and, and if we fast forward to 2021, what's happened? Well, everyone just pays Microsoft for Office 365, and <laughs> yeah, they yeah. get their Exchange and SharePoint and OneDrive through the vendor who writes that software. And they don't think about it. It just works. Well, and, and then even when it doesn't, if there's an outage on 365, who the hell was I going to email anyways? They're already they're also <laughs> down, too. Like... It's like yeah, it's if kinda, it's like it, it's like if the phone network crashes and but your cell phone still works like cool who am I going to call <laughs> like yeah nothing like a good old US East one outage to to show you that the entire world sits in one data center yeah yeah no but it's um y- you mentioned that 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 dump truck full of money I remember normally these are kind of shadowy things that are like hey you better have an ELA and you know quarter million you know minimum discussion but. I, I, Microsoft did discuss publicly extended support for XP, and the first year was a hundred dollars per desktop. Okay, maybe there's someone might be willing to pay that. The second year was like three hundred, and then the third year they didn't even want to publish. But I think it was like eight hundred or a thousand or something. Oh my goodness! Like it was. And yet, I am not going to tell see you. XP. I still see XP. If I'm oh. in, sometimes I'm in an airport and I see XP. But like, you still see that green start button. <laughs> it's like, who's who's still using XP? There's uh, a lot of XP government. in the cloud, my friends. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you, but it's more than zero. There are quite a few <laughs> XP and Windows 2000 workload. Like, th- this is the good and bad that came along with with server virtualization. Emotion. And yeah, yeah, industry modernization. You know, as, as the graybeards will remember, we used to delete things like there would there would be a life cycle. A server would would come to the end and and you you'd move the data and you'd turn it off and you'd throw it away. That doesn't happen anymore, right? It just things perpetually move from platform to platform to platform. And now we're at the point where we're replatforming them into you know cloud SaaS services so that they never have to move again. And and it, it's great in in a lot of ways because what it means is solved problems don't have to be readdressed. You know, it's solved. So you just, you know, yes, this this particular uh, expense workflow was written in a way such that it only works on a Windows XP desktop, but it is just cheaper to maintain one of those than it is to go through and try to find a new platform or to build one in-house or to get something developed for you purposefully. You know, is it a security risk? Absolutely. But that's why we have things like distributed firewalls and NSXT, right? Like there are other ways to resolve some of these challenges. And it, it just comes down to what's the cost of rebuilding this thing versus continuing to keep it going. Well, and it's it's interesting because people look at these costs of that. And I think this has been you know, I've I've heard oftentimes that you know you end up with over half your budget going to op- support costs and sometimes ridiculous support costs in these cases. And I talk to customers, they're like, well, "Why can't I run the, you know this for you know nine years?" And I'm like, "Well, you can if you're willing to shovel a lot of money. But if you if you really want to buy something and deploy it and run it for ten years and pay a kind of a more consistent and not have weird like discussions <laughs> with your operating system vendor, you probably should have bought a mainframe. You know." those still exist like there are people who will happily take your money and they are nor they're it's a normal thing to run a 10 you know a 10 plus year life cycle uh but they're called a z series they're not small they they cause you don't want one in your house trust me you don't want one in your house um but 
you know, that's that that is something that hopefully is an industry we will move beyond. But as Glenn says, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of that's still going on. Yeah. And it seems like Exchange was, I don't know if it was the first, you know, but it was definitely that whole, you know, Microsoft, I think, was probably the first that it was really like, hey, let us do this. Let, let, you know, they really took on that service model. Um, and, and I think they, they led by example. You know, I really, because I like we talked about earlier, you know, Exchange and all that stuff used to just always be traditionally in house and in house only. And now we look back, it's not even that long ago. And I can't even, like, why would you do this in-house? And so that service model really, uh, you know, it just makes a lot more sense. And I, and I know VMware has definitely shifted in that direction as well. So, Glenn, you you work it's, a lot with AWS. And, you know, I'd love to hear your take on on how this change has affected customers. Yeah, it's, it, it's a good analogy, honestly, because the reality is there are still customers that run Exchange, right? Uh, th- there are customers for whom their email. Reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, either either they've they've got regulators that demand it and or email maintain is continues to be a sensitive enough subject where it is worthwhile for them to have it in house, right? Like is it cheaper than just renting it from somebody else? No, not at all, right? Um but it depends on what you're trying to do with it, right? Like it's entirely possible that by running it in house you get a capability that you just otherwise would not have, right? If you were using the SaaS version because SaaS platforms typically like they normalize the peaks and provide something that works for the masses and that means as a con- as a consumer of that 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 service, you lose a little bit of customization, right? And in the VMware space, this is where like it's a huge gray area it, it is this is why we have multiple we have the multi-cloud strategy why we have customer presence equipment as part of our managed service offers because there are customers for whom they're gonna they need to stay on premises there are customers who are going to continue to run their private cloud infrastructures for the next 25 years right they're never going to move into a, a fully managed service that's why there's things like VCF right oh, yeah. uh, to, oh, yeah. to be able to service those edges and and the the varying degree of customer use cases that we have you know it it, it truly massive customers right customers with a thousand plus nodes moving into something like VMware Cloud uh, is a non-trivial endeavor because typically what we discover with those really large accounts is there's a whole bunch of like process and and, and baked in capabilities. And when you start to, to do the mapping to what we provide, you start to discover like, oh, okay, well, uh, you have this special report that you have to fill out because your government said you have to do this. And we need to give you the ability to generate that report. We don't, we've never ran into that before. So let's go do that. And, and that th- this is how AWS AWS ended up with like 4,000 services, right? Like you run a SaaS platform like that for 20 years and you just slowly through acquisition and in-house development, you discover all these unique flavors of ice cream that are required by all the different palettes of the world. And you end up with a bunch of li- little commonalities that, that that are just general platforms that service everybody. And then a bunch of one-offs that service very specific customer bases and, and kind of like the support conversation. It, it just comes down to look how, how big of a checker you're willing to write and how many people want this thing. If you're the only one who wants it, it you got to write a pretty big check. If there's a lot of people who want it, then you get it for free. Uh, and and yeah, the, yeah. The, there's just an endless variation in between those two points. Well, and that is one thing that's interesting. You talk about it, Amazon, their their pass offerings from a support basis. I think they've deprecated like one service in the entire history of, of AWS. I, I think it was like their original EC2 flavor that was like a VPS system or something pretty barbaric. Um, yeah, they're, they're the anti-Google for sure. <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, we have, we have like, you know, there are some... 
I won't, you know, name names, but you've already named them, who are notorious for just going around and murdering products. And then you've got, you know, AWS, where I feel really bad for the PM for some of these things that, you know, have probably three users left, but they're, they're still <laughs> trucking on. Yeah. Um, but who knows? Maybe they've got some entire, you know, they're also a software company that's over 20 years old. So they probably have some weird internal technical debt that, yes, they've built a newer, you know, mousetrap, but they sure as hell haven't internally even migrated to it. So that's always that's the fun of, of building these types of systems is you internally use them. And, it, you know, VMware is not a young company by any means. And when you start poking around at internal, you're like, oh, yeah, we need to move off. This. Oh, wait, we, we are actually our own largest customer on this ancient thing that we've forgotten about. So that's something it can happen. Well, I like that you brought up VCF or VMware Cloud Foundation because even that in itself is sort of a version of software as a service, right? Like or infrastructure as a service because it's essentially, you know, it's not in the public cloud, you know, much like AWS, but I mean it gives you that same service model or or that's that's the goal, right? Is to have that, you know, instead of having to have everything and configure everything with, you know, with all the complexities that we all know, come with all the different parts that make up an infrastructure. You know, something like VMware Cloud Foundation, you know, I think that's kind of the goal of it is to actually create sort of a almost an on-premises service model, you know, everything being done through one one interface uh, and having that, you know, the compatibility, you're not going to have to worry about it. You just enable it, you configure it. And, you know, it's a little bit simpler than, you know, piecemealing everything one by one. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's all about managing complexity, right? Like in, in the olden days, we used to talk about admin to server ratios. How many how many servers could an individual administrator manage, you know, and, and there, you'd have all the backroom finger pointing similar to like console wars about, you know, like a Linux admin can manage 20 servers and a Windows admin can only manage four. Uh, but but if you just look at the complexity of these stacks these days, right, like it is completely unrealistic to expect that you're going to manage the entire thing. I mean, unless unless you just want to spend absolutely no time doing the thing you're actually there to do. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. You know, if, if, if I'm a paper company, I'm there to, to, to print paper, right? Manufacture paper. If I want to spend all of my time doing anything except that, then I can manage every single minutia, little part of the infrastructure, you know, from the power all the way up through the network connections and all the services and automation platforms and everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, or I can intelligently offload some of that, right? Let the utilities company worry about the electricity and, you know, the network company worry about the ISP worry about the network and let a vendor like VMware worry about your, your, your baseline platform and focus on the thing that actually matters to your business, right? Make them paper. You know, that, that, that's really what, what a lot of these services are about. And, you know, like, look, look at uh, some of the, the recent CVEs uh, and, and, you know, like the Log4j outbreak. You know, when when that stuff happened, if you were a, a customer of VMware Cloud and AWS, you got an email that said uh, last night CVE XYZ was published and the following exploit was announced. Uh, your environment has already been patched. You're safe, right? They did nothing, right? They just woke up and kept going. If you were running your infrastructure, you spent an entire week running around trying to figure out how to patch all of the various different platforms and operating systems and oh, yeah. components and are my network switches at risk? Like it, it's a big thing. So it's just, where do you want to spend your time? Right. And, and as, as an IT shop in particular, a technology company, it, it, which, which more and more businesses are becoming technology companies these days, like where's the value? 
Is the value in, in, in managing the life cycle or is the value in owning the platform and investing in platforms that offload this work so that your teams have the cycles to do the things that they're there to actually do? But Glenn, we're, we're a tech company. We start with first principles, which means we must refactor everything from scratch. But, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I jokingly no, that's an say engineering that. team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I jokingly say that, but actually, you know, VMware, I was shocked how much SaaS we used when I got here. I was like, wait, we own Zimbra. We actually owned a, an exchange competitor at the time. And my mailbox was on 365. I'm like, well, I don't think we're going to own that for long. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, you know, sure. I started looking around and I was like, you know, I'm used to, oh, you know, working in small businesses, like you show up and it's like, okay, here's four things you have to have manual logins to because they're so ancient and poorly kept. This is a, you know, an AIX box under a desk that doesn't speak LDAP properly for some reason. Like, you know, I'm just used to all kinds of weird stuff. And I was like, what? I have one login, once one, you know, workspace one, I log in, like everything's there. Like, and half of this is SaaS. It was, it's kind of wild. I mean, look, in my own house, right? Like I've been in this industry for 20 years. I've been everything from a, a principal architect in a data center all the way up through you know, tech marketing and now product management. I, I spent over 10 years in the storage industry. I bought a Synology. I'm not running free NAS. I'm not running a file <laughs> yes, server. Good point. good point. I have a little box on my shelf. It updates itself. I don't ever look at the dumb thing, right? It just, it, it solves the problem for me. And as a result, I don't have to think about it. Plex just works. DNS is just there, right? Core services just function. It backs up the backblaze. None of this is my problem, right? Exactly. I, I had a friend recently, uh, they, they had a home NAS that actually ended up getting ransomwared. And I was like, wait, have you been updating it? And he's like, it was a QNAP. It was like four major releases behind. <laughs> and it, apparently it was on the internet because of UPnP. So anyone who's out there, oh, please boy. stop. Go make sure your consumer router is not letting devices open firewall ports for themselves. But it, th yeah. this got me thinking, you know, as I go on this tangent here, we used to have to forward firewall ports to things in our house to access services or, or like do a video call and things like you actually used to have to do NAT transversal was the death of, you know, making a VoIP or some type of peer to peer video call or something. And now everything just tunnels through the cloud. You no longer have to like I, I can't remember the last time I, I opened a port on on a firewall leading into my house. And, and I have gear that obviously just doesn't religiously believe in UPnP because it's an abomination of security. <laughs> but I mean, that, this just used to be a thing of, oh, you would open ports, then we had routers that would automatically open ports, which was even stupider. And now just everything, everything just works it's, because, yeah. because of on cloud services. Yeah. 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 But, but, but at the same time, right, like you're giving something up there because the reason it just works is because it's <clears throat> going to a middle point over HTTPS, which is always open and, and negotiating that connection somewhere else. Right. So it's it, the, the, to bring it back to the, the core infrastructure conversation, it really depends like what is what is the actual risk? What is the component? What is the value of that component to you and your business and the problem you're trying to solve? Maybe it is worth it for you to have to worry about opening ports because you don't want to have a proxy in the middle. Right. Like our, our corporate firewall, like the. There are open ports on a corporate firewall to let our VPN clients come in. We're not yeah. proxying through a SaaS service for that because it's the core backbone communications of, of a, a major corporation with a lot of technology that the world depends upon. We have to take network security incredibly seriously, right? We have to own that. You're always going to own it. But, you know, do, do, do we have to own like an internal message board? No. 
right? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. pick your favorite open source flavor and or or buy the SaaS platform that 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 comes with your 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 ticketing system and call it a day, right? Get on with the thing you're actually there to do. Yeah, no uh, need and, to and, no need to host a chat service. Uh, you already use yeah. Salesforce. Slack comes with it now, so you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So Glenn, you've been you've been with AWS for a little while. Uh, I'm sure you were around for this whole log4j, you know, and you you did mention that you work in product management now. So I'm curious, a little insight into how situations like log4j transition into, you know, changes inside of the service. Any any insight into how your your time as a product manager has impacted the the product itself? Well, th- those are two different questions, right? So security alerts are Security is a funny part of this industry. It's it's a bunch of people who have each other's phone number. And when something starts to happen, like they're all having, you know, Facebook chat. No, probably not Facebook chat. This sounds like BGP, they're, by the way. This sounds like how yeah, BGP no, works. It's a very it, small kinda, people, like they're like, yeah, they got like signal message boards where they're talking to each other about, did you hear about this? It's going to be announced on the 15th. And, you know, the, uh, on the back end, there's a very small tiger team in every single major company that is working to figure out how to solve this problem. And then you get to the announce date, which is the drop dead point of, look, vendors, uh, we told you about this. If you haven't fixed it yet, your customers are about to get lit on fire because we're going <laughs> to yeah. disclose it. And the disclose is an important part because if you didn't disclose it, it would never get fixed. The vendors would just sit there and say, well, secure to be through obscurity. Nobody knows about this. It's not really a risk, right? Uh, Once it's, it's disclosed... I'm this a two. This isn't a 10. I, it's just a yeah. two, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Right. So so security is is a very, very different thing. And when, when it's something like Log4j, you, you, it comes out of nowhere and you're kind of shocked at how many people have been working on it yeah, and right. getting ready for, for that drop dead date. And even then, right, like it, when it's that widespread, when you're talking about, you know, like I think the last time something like this happened is when there was an issue in OpenS, OpenSSL. You know, it just it touches everything, almost every part, every operating system, every application all need to get updated. And it's it's a race for time. You know, we had um, and, and again, this gets back to, you know, where where some of these past systems can make a difference. Right. Like if, if you were a customer, even if you were on premises, right, you had stable security practices, none, nothing talked to the Internet, all your management infrastructure was was isolated. Uh, but that also means it's kind of hard to get to it. So maybe somebody decides one day that they're just going to drop a management VM and they're, and they're going to put it on that network. And, you know, somebody needs to get a, a file off SharePoint. So they, they, they just temporarily connected to the internet just to download a patch real quick and boom there you go now you've got someone on the inside of your management network 35 minutes later you lose absolutely everything right like it is so easy to make one of those mistakes these oh, days yeah. because oh, yeah. these stacks are so complicated it is just billions upon billions of lines of code that are maintained by hundreds of thousands of different people and it all just kind of works right <laughs> until it starts to stop working yeah and and that's where you know my life as a product manager these days it, it, it's it's really about trying to to take a look at that bigger picture right of of what what are customers struggling with what's what's consuming time that shouldn't be consuming time and then how do we figure out a way to make that easier for them right uh, a couple of the the big major uh, features that we've released recently inside VMC and AWS they're all about that right we've been working for 18 months to slowly get the entire fleet upgraded to the the new version of a vSAN uh, object reservation and, and slack space management so that oh, nice. you know we had the new object model and the ability to do host reservations and and thus we were able to make a service definition change and reduce our Slack space requirement. 
You know, we previously needed 30% free space capacity in yeah, case of a resynchronization. Yes. We've now reduced that to 20%. That returned five petabytes of usable capacity to the VMware Cloud customer fleet. Right? That's incredible. Like it's, it, it, in a lot of cases, it was customers being able to take whole hosts out of their infrastructure because they don't need it anymore, right? Um, we, we, we've also, you know, been doing a lot of work around uh, smaller instances, right? Our, our two-node stretch clusters, two-node host clusters. Uh, we've recently introduced the ability to scale down to a two-node cluster. So if you previously had bought like a four-host at the early days of EMC, you could scale down to three, scale down to two, right? And 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 why does this matter? Well, you know, the the, the downside with a, a SaaS service is typically, you know, you're they're, they're a little bit expensive, right? Now, it's cheaper than you doing it yourself. Oh, absolutely. But you have to yeah. add up, you know, the personnel costs, the licensing costs, the, the opportunity cost, right? The fact that you're not doing something else, the power, the space, the cooling, the, the, the infrastructure. It's only once you add all that stuff up that you can really get a dollars to donuts and see that, oh... If I were doing this, it would cost me a thousand dollars. Yeah, but I can pay the vendor six hundred and they'll do it for me, right? I save four hundred dollars in the transaction. But at first, you just look at it and go, "Wait a minute, I can buy the software for two fifty, and you're charging me six hundred? How does this work?" <laughs> yeah, right? it's like saying uh, I can buy a gallon of paint from the paint store for like forty dollars, and and I can pay my own house, or you could actually pay a professional to do it. <laughs> a big difference. Yeah, are are you factoring in the sixty hours of labor and all the fact that you're going to have to oh, go back and, and yeah, the refactor? Yeah, yeah, you're going to get it wrong. You know, like I do a lot oh, of home improvement. Yeah. I always uh, I end up buying like six or seven extra boards because I know I'm going to cut them wrong once or twice. I'm not a professional framer, right? Like it's the cost of doing it yourself uh, versus just hiring someone who can get it right the first time. You know, and 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 that's really where. Uh, Product management is is really focused, particularly in a SaaS model. When you're building software services for customers, you spend a lot of time just talking to them about their pain points and trying to figure out how you can make it easier for them and and give them back time. That's really what this is about, right? When you buy a service, you're buying an outcome. And as a result, you get back time, the only commodity that cannot be generated. And and that's that's why we're seeing the world move to a, a SaaS-based model. Because they oh, for yeah. the most part, most businesses recognize that the time is their time is the most valuable commodity they have. Uh, and and selectively offloading as much as possible just lets them focus on the part that they're there to do. Well said, man. Well said. I think that wraps it up. It, it, you know, we started talking about the fact that, you know, that a lot of these thing, older server versions are, are, are ex- moving to end of life and it's just a common cycle, but it's a cycle that doesn't really need to happen with, with a service like uh, AWS and other services. Uh, and yeah, and I think that the, the real takeaway for me you can look at a price of something and then, you know, but if you're going to really have a fair comparison of that price, you really have to factor in all the pieces, right? The maintenance, uh, the security, the, the, the wisdom, SREs, everything, yeah. security, all of those have to factor in when you're considering which one is more economical, right? Yeah, that's uh, the old saying, right? Free like a puppy. <laughs> Free like a puppy. Yeah, that's that's exactly true. I, I like that. <laughs> All right, Glenn, uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour. I want to thank you, as always, for joining us on Virtually Speaking. Open door invitation and uh, enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Yeah, always, t- always great to talk to you guys. Take care. All right. John, that music tells me it's time to go. So uh, if you want to get more of Virtually Speaking, you can go to bespeakingpodcast.com. You can catch this in all episodes there, and you can also subscribe to us on Twitter and Instagram. 
We're at Bert Speaking. A big thanks to my good friend, Mr. Glenn Sizemore, for joining us this week. We're back next week, but until then... Glenn, man. Always, always a blast having you on the I was looking for my, my, my Cat 8 Terminators to show you how big they are. They're like two inches. It's ridiculous. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, it's like this two-inch chunk of metal. It's, it's insane. But, you know, I, supposedly I never have to replace these cables. I'm good for 40 gigs. And I don't... I mean, this is probably like Bill Gates saying you never need more than 4K of memory. But hopefully I never need more than 40 gigs of home networking. <laughs> what kind of dystopian future are we in if that becomes true? Oh, yeah. Enough of this jibber-jabber. <laughs>